Hello, everyone. We're glad you found us, and welcome to our podcast at AntiqueAuctionForum.com. We hope you find this show entertaining and informative. Hello, this is Martin Willis, and today's guest for podcast number 128 is, well, you may remember him as Wally from Leave It to Beaver. It's Tony Dow. He's now a sculptor. And a couple of quick announcements You can follow us on Twitter or you can like us on Facebook. Those icons are on our website. You can contact me at info at antiqueauctionforum.com. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy the show. And by the way, if you're listening on iTunes, please leave us a review. This podcast is sponsored by WorthPoint. Find out what your antiques are worth at worthpoint.com. Okay, I'm on the line with Tony Dow in California. How are you doing, Tony? Hey, I'm doing great. How about you? I'm doing well, and thanks so much for joining us for the podcast today. A lot of people remember you from Wally way back when, and I was certainly a huge fan of the show, Uh, Leave It to Beaver. What I wanted to do is ask you, how did you get into the business of acting? Uh, well, it was an accident, actually. I mean, I, I was a swimmer and a diver, and uh, the pool that I worked out at, the lifeguard there was an actor. And, uh, I don't know, we kind of looked alike, and, you know, we fooled around. You know, he, I was, I think, oh, 10 or 11 at the time. And then uh, he had a part, he was going out on an interview for a part that had a father and a son. And uh, as we know, anything you can do that, that creates attention in Hollywood um, is good. So he thought, well, maybe I'll, I'll ask Tony if he'll go in with me. And then it's like a father-son package and um, et cetera, et cetera. So I did, and uh, I ended up getting the part, and he didn't. And uh, it was a pilot for Screen Gems, uh, which was a terrific idea, but just it was ahead of its time. It was a... It was a color show in 1956, I guess, and um, so that didn't work. And then, uh, then we, our family was, we were going to move, and uh, the agent that I had acquired through this uh, previous experience said, "Well, let's just go on a couple more interviews." So I went on a couple more interviews, and uh, Leave It to Beaver happened to be one of them. Yeah, and and you got the part just like that. Yeah, they'd already done a pilot, so they, they'd already looked at like I don't know five thousand kids. Um, oh. So they they'd already cast Jerry, uh, and uh, the network liked the show, but they didn't like the, uh, the actor that was playing uh, Wally, and they didn't like the actor that was uh, playing the father. So they recast both those parts. So actually, I was lucky because you know I was on a short list. Um, uh, I hadn't seen anybody about it, and I also had a, a the guy who was the executive producer on this uh, this Johnny Wildlife pilot that I was mentioning. <laughs> he uh, he was the executive producer assigned to Leave It to Beaver, and so he said, "Hey, I, I work with this kid that you may want to look at." So I had a little bit of a, a help getting in, and um, it was it, it was just amazing. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, what, uh, we'll talk about your sculpture in a few minutes, but I just want you know, what was your childhood like? I mean, it must have been just amazing. Well, it was different. Yeah, uh, th- that's that's for sure. Um, you know, I mean, it's uh, I 
it's I didn't know what to you know I mean I don't know what to expect from a childhood except what I had so <laughs> you know I mean I I uh, there was a lot of work involved uh, we uh, we shot three days and rehearsed for two days so it took a week to do an episode and um, I had to do three hours of school per day. And then I had homework, and then I had to learn my lines, and uh, so I, you know, it was a pretty full, full day. But it was interesting because of so many experiences and so many people that I got to meet, and it was interesting. I mean, oh, I bet. Yeah, you know, my my sister had a major crush on you. I remember that. <laughs> oh, did she? Was yeah. she cute? She was very cute. Yeah, I'm, oh, I'm well, sure that was where, a lot. Where was she? <laughs> I think she was. If you had a fan club, she was. She joined it, I'm sure. Uh, uh, one other question I have for you. You know, I, I looked at your your uh, IMDb, your Internet uh, Movie Database, and uh-huh. you really have done a ton of things besides Leave it to Beaver. Um, was it really tough to try to break a typecast, or can you break a typecast when you're in a show like that? I don't know. I mean, I don't think so. I think it's really tough because even guys like, I mean, the only person that I remember that really was able to do that and he was an adult with uh, Kel Connor, uh, you know, from uh, All in the Family. Yep, right. You know, he went on to do, uh, I think, a detective show or something like that. But even oh, yeah. people like even people like Henry Winkler, you know, I mean, he's mm. a sensational actor. You know, he's sort of pigeonholed into the funds. Right. So I don't know. You know, I mean, I I did a lot of other work, but um, it's uh, it's difficult. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a perception of who you are and what you're supposed to, you know, what kind of person you are. And so they, to type cast away from that. And the Wally character, as great of a character as he was, he wasn't the most interesting um, character. So, you know, <laughs> getting interesting roles w- was not uh, easy to do. I posted that you were going to be up on an interview and a, list, a listener sent a question, uh, whatever happened to Eddie Haskell? No, I, I forget the actor's name. But uh, I thought I had heard something many years ago that he was uh, had something to do with the police department or somewhere or something like that. Yeah, he was an LAPD guy, and he rode a motorcycle. And um, I can't imagine him driving up on a motorcycle with his uh, dark glasses and his helmet and all that stuff and asking for your... Uh, Asking for your license, but um, he um, he got sh- he got shot in some sort of a weird thing where he was chasing a guy who had robbed something or done something, and as he ran around the corner, the guy was standing there waiting for him. The guy shot him like really? three times, but he actually hit him in his bulletproof vest and his belt buckle, which oh saved his goodness. life. Jeez, that was a that was a tough. Uh, Thing to experience, and then shortly thereafter, we got back together and we did a new show called the New. Well, we did a movie of the week called the Still the Beaver. Right in 1987, we, I think it was, or something like that. <laughs> it was a lot earlier than that, but you know. Uh, then we did a new series called the New Leave It to Beaver, uh, and uh, so he was back uh, back working as an actor. So uh, mm-hmm. he's he's fine. He's he, you know, he's uh, he's a real character. You know, I see him a couple times a year. And, and what about Beaver, uh, Jerry Mathers? What's yeah, he? I see him. You know, roughly the same. We don't. Uh, there'll be an appearance, or somebody will want us to show up somewhere to to you know do do something, and we'll we'll do that. But uh, socially, I don't think we hang out much uh, t- together. Mm-hmm. I know that Frank and Ken, 
Frank is Frank Banks, who played Lumpy. They kind of hang out together, so uh, I can always keep track of how one is by the other one. Yeah, how about that? Well, okay, so let's uh, let's talk about your art. Did you always have an appreciation for art? Well, I came from this sort of you know creative family. My mom was uh, very creative, uh, and um, she had a business where she did uh, arrangements, gourd arrangements, you mm-hmm. know, for centerpieces, and sent them back to uh, <clears throat> Bloomingdale's in New York. And uh, my dad was a, uh, a designer, a building designer, and a contractor. So, you know, they were both reasonably creative. Um, I wasn't much into art uh, until I was, when I was on the show, I started drawing. And, you know, and there's always a lot of talented people on a set. So um, I started dabbling, and I found that uh, actually my strong suit wasn't, uh, wasn't drawing uh, or painting. It tended to be uh, assemblage, which is, you know, sort of an abstract form of putting things together, uh, usually on a, on a flat surface, uh, on a wall or whatever. But um, so I, you know, I did a lot of that, and then, uh, <laughs> but then it was after the show when I was in my, you know, nineteen twenty, twenty-one, somewhere in there, I started. Um, creating pieces of sculpture, but I, I brazed, I, you know, I used copper hmm. and I brazed, uh, things together. And I did a lot of, um, you know, a lot of sort of figurative stuff. And I did a lot of kind of interesting things. Like I created a big coffee table that had a little train going around it and it had like about 40, uh, Western town kind of structures on it that were made out of copper. And, hmm. So I really enjoyed I, I enjoyed that, but what happened was I got when I was doing the art show circuit, where you know, like the Del Mar or the Laguna or Westwood art shows, I would sell out of my uh, twenty dollar items, and uh, had much more trouble selling the, the you know the more expensive items, and I realized um, that I didn't want to be the king of weed pots uh, in these uh, <laughs> you know going in these art shows, so. It was it was frustrating, so I kind of quit quit doing that. Um, hmm. And uh, I had always planned on coming back uh, to try to work uh, the sculpture when I retired from because I was busy, you know, throughout that period. Um, I was uh, after the new show started, and then I started directing, and I directed for fifteen, sixteen years. Oh, that's like right. That. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, and. Uh, and so, you know, my intent was always to, to uh, when I, re- you know, retired, I would retire by the seashore with a nice gallery and uh, uh, living quarters upstairs, you know, that whole idealistic uh, artist thing. And um, that never happened, but, uh, and I re- retired a little earlier than I had planned uh, from the directing uh, field. So um, that's kind of, you know, how it evolved. Uh, I started doing things, and I, you know, I, I have, I had about twenty or twenty-five pieces that uh, kind of all went with this one <clears throat> series, uh, and um, and then I started uh, going to the foundry and having molds made and having them cast in bronze, and you know, one thing led to another, and so you know, here we are. <laughs> yeah. Now, do you have any of your early work at all? Did you hang on to any of that? 
I think I may have the very first thing that I ever uh, braised together, which was um, uh, it was a really simplistic couple of buildings with a sun above it. You know, it was just, <clears throat> and I think I probably did that when I was 18, maybe, or 19. And then I uh, I lived on a boat for a, a number of years, and I so I did a, you know, not a model replica, but I did a version of my boat <clears throat> uh, when I was probably, you know, early 20s or something like that. And then I have one piece that I did that's uh, that's a real interesting piece. It's um, it's this old woman who's sitting, kind of waiting to die, and in front of her she has a uh, a patchwork quilt laid out, which is also made out of copper and and zinc plates. And another artist friend of mine uh, and I collaborated on it. And the zinc plates tell the whole story of her life from her birth through you know. Through adolescence, through her first marriage, through et cetera, et cetera, all the way over to uh, um, where she is waiting to. She's recalling her whole life and waiting to die. So that that I did in my early twenties. Uh, now, when you say zinc plates, is that something that's actually um, etched in? Yeah, they were acid etched, and then they were mounted on the uh, the figure. Yeah. Oh, so, mm-hmm. Now, now you work. Um, I I see you work a lot with burl, which is you know, my favorite or one of my favorite types of wood, which is just so beautiful. The, you know, burl wood is basically like a tumor in a tree, basically. And, yeah, uh, now, you know, the, the, it's, it's a little misleading from my standpoint because I actually don't use the, the real burl wood. What I use is I use whatever the space between the trunk of a tree and the roots. There's a big ball there that, you know, that has... A real interesting shape, and it has uh, the same beautiful wood that burlwood has. The reason I call it burlwood is somebody once told me what the real name of this is, and I'd never heard of it, and I assume nobody else would have ever heard, <laughs> heard of it. So yeah. I just sort of simplified it down to burlwood. But it's that <clears throat> it's that you know that space that's um, that's real knotty and clunky and really hard. Mm. Now I've worked with uh, the you know the other type of burl before myself. I done some woodworking and i know that when you're trying to do any type of carving it kind of tells you where you're going to go it's like you you know it's fine if you cut burl with a saw but if you're actually trying to carve it it's extremely tricky to work in so i'm kind of i was impressed right away with your work and before i forget um i want the listener to, to know they can see your site it's tony dow sculpture.com so right. uh, Tell me about uh, working with the uh, the root wood or whatever it is that you're working with. What, what's it like? I have the same experience sort of you do, that the, 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 the wood kind of leads you in different directions. But I don't carve it. I use um, I use saws. I have a big bandsaw that I kind of do major chunks with. And then I have a number of different kind of grinders that, you know, are some are like uh, chainsaws and some of them are just real... Uh, heavy carbide grinders um so what happens is i i'm able to take out any part i want but when i start out i'll start out usually uh either with a sander a chisel and uh, a hammer many times and just trying to define the pieces of the parts of the wood that i really 
uh, I really like, and it kind of leads me in a direction. And then usually after about five hours or so, I'll uh, I'll I'll find what I want to really do with it, and then I'll spend you know 15 hours or 20 hours or whatever refining it with uh, with the grinders and the sanders and the various and sundry things like that. Uh, as you notice, my pieces all have a similar format. They have kind of small heads, and then they're mounted on a kind of a long pedestal type thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's some uh, some of that that has to be done. Uh, but, uh, it, you know, the, the wood is fascinating. I mean, many times I'll have something in mind before I start, you know, and then I'll just look for a piece of wood that I think will lend itself to that. Um, so, you know, it kind of works both ways. Um, either the wood will direct me or I'll direct the wood. And then eventually, <clears throat> obviously, I have to take over the lead and uh, finish the piece. Uh, I I spoke with an, an artist one time that worked with Diebenkorn and uh, the artist, famous abstract artist. And he said that um, he never had any idea what he was going to do when he started. I thought that was fascinating. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it just reminds me of reading the Michelangelo's agony. Uh, what is mm-hmm. it? The agony and the ec- ecstasy about where he would like uh, sometimes a marble would lead him where he was going to sculpt, mm-hmm. or, or he actually pictured something inside of a block of marble, which is is all all fascinating. And I watched I watched a video. We're going to have a, a video that video posted of you under this uh, podcast. Um, that's on YouTube where you explain your art, and uh-huh. you mentioned that you really enjoy nature, and, and so a lot of your work has something to do with nature. Can you explain a little more about that? Well, I think the wood uh, pretty much lends itself to organic kinds of uh, applications. So, um, you know, I really have an appreciation for the wood and the beauty of it, et cetera, et cetera. But my, um, the, the pieces tend to be... Um, kind of figurative and uh, they're kind of hard to explain but they, you know they're figurative and usually they deal with either a relationship between a couple of figures or a group of figures in some cases uh, a figure in some inanimate object and uh, they tend to evolve from the natural you know progression of things I, mm-hmm. I tend to think that um, I work with shape shape and, and texture and then uh, contrast so those are kind of the three things that I that I deal with and uh, certainly composition and shape uh, being uh, the thing that gets me started to begin with and then and then I deal with the, you know the, the texture and the the uh, contrast at a later date but you know I it's, it's hard to it's, it's, you know when you try to really analyze what an artist does or how they they uh, they work. Everybody kind of works differently, and everybody kind of also uh, works differently for different projects. Mm-hmm. You know, I did, I've, I've got a fairly large project that I did out of uh, sculpture foam, and then I have this. It's the only thing I learned at UCLA when I was taking art at UCLA that I've been able to use, <clears throat> and it. Um, I'll get the sculpture foam uh, roughed out. And then I'll take uh, white glue, like will hold glue or whatever, and cover it with uh, with the glue, and then put sand in the glue so that the you know the sand, and do that a couple of times, 
and what you end up with was you, you end up with this real hard <laughs> surface hmm. that uh is uh it's got a real texture to it and then i go back and i use fix all or some sort of plaster material to then do the final shape and the final details and stuff like that so that's another process that um you know that i use <laughs> that's if i if I know exactly what I'm going to be doing and mm-hmm. or if I have a commission and somebody wants something a particular way or, you know. Um, so there are different ways to approach things. And I also never like to do the same thing twice, really. So <clears throat> I like to experiment with um, with how things are approached, you know. I like Some of the things I like to create elements and then combine them. Uh, other things I like to... Uh, just strictly take away the part that I don't like hmm. and, and end up with the, the figure that I have uh, envisioned. Uh, so it's, you know, it's a, it's, I guess it's a real personal, individual process of how you attack something. If you have a formula, in other words, I have a series of things which I think they're on the website at the end of the website. They're called um, artifacts. And yes. these hmm. are uh, pieces that... Um, you know, I envisioned from the beginning. It took a couple of years to sort of gestate and figure out what I wanted to do. And, uh, you know, those are a process. In other words, I, I'll do like five or six at a time, and I'll do each each one, the uh, the beginning shape, and, I'm, and I'll do the, the plaster next, and then I'll do... And, and they tend to be, again, the term contrast kind of applies there because they... <clears throat> They have a lot of computer chips and sort of interesting modern kinds of things. I'm not sure what they are in most cases. <laughs> and then it's um, it's in this real organic kind of a tower thing. So it looks like um, it looks like it could have been at the bottom of the ocean for uh, a thousand years, or it looks like maybe it it's something that will be at the bottom of the ocean <laughs> in a thousand years. You know, so. <clears throat> um, that that kind of thing uh, actually is uh, makes life easier if you have a, a process and a procedure because you can actually get things done in a timely fashion. You know. Mm-hmm. Now, when you said you worked with this foam, d- does that mean you're making like monumental, like large pieces? Well, the the the, the first time I use a foam, it's, it's about a five foot tall mm-hmm. figure. Yeah, and then. Uh, I'm working on this uh, commission for the International Swimming and Diving Hall of Fame, and uh, <clears throat> so I, I did. That's one of the elements of that uh, was made out of uh, foam. Although, you know, this is what happens: you you work a month or six weeks on it, and then all of a sudden you, you, it it's not working anymore. You know, so now mm. I got to go back to square one because I'm not happy with. I'm happy with the figure, but it, it not it doesn't have enough motion, and it doesn't have really isn't what I want for this piece. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of time spent. Now, what do you uh, do in a situation like that? Is this something you absolutely destroy, or is this something you mm-hmm. just tuck away somewhere? Tuck away. Yeah. Um, it depends. I mean, I have an idea for this particular piece uh, that I may alter it and. Uh, and change it. Um, so I'll, you know, I'll do that first, and if it's if it's 
doesn't work at that point, then I'll probably either tuck it away and, you know, I can cut it up into pieces and use parts of it for elements of something else. You just said that you do commissions, and so do you get uh, a number of them? A, a lot of artists say that commissions are really difficult to do. How do you feel about doing them? Yeah, I don't. I, I, I find them difficult to do. Um, <clears throat> you know, I've one of the things that I do is my, my editions of... Uh, my pieces, there's nine in each edition. So the bronze pieces that started out <clears throat> as the wood pieces, there's a mold made, and the whole lost wax process is used. A lot of people may want to be uh, may want to understand exactly what the lost wax process is. Can you just go into that a little bit? Sure, sure. In other words, you have an object, and it can be made out of wood. It can be made out of clay, or it can be made out of whatever you want. And uh, there's a rubber mold that's made, and it's made in two halves so that it can be screwed apart and taken apart. Um, they take it apart. They take the original piece out. Then they screw the thing back together, so now you have a negative of the piece that you want to end up with eventually. And then they, uh, they'll they fill that with wax, and uh, and then they'll... Uh, unscrew that, remove the wax, and then take the wax and dip it uh, in um, um, a slurry, like a plaster kind of a thing, where they just dip it maybe a dozen times or however long it takes to get the thickness that they want. <clears throat> and then they'll um, um, they'll put it in an oven at uh, 1,800 degrees and melt the wax. So the wax will disappear, and now you have uh, a cast of uh, a negative of what you want, and then you can fill it with whatever you want, whether it's steel or aluminum or bronze or or whatever. And then once that's poured and cooled, you uh, break the uh, plaster away, and you've got your figure. Then, of course, you have to go back and you have to finish the, you know, uh, sandblast it and grind it and smooth it and, you know, work on it a little bit. But one of the things I do is once the, <clears throat> the piece is done in wax, um, I'll usually go and spend a few hours working on the wax. So each piece is a little bit different. Uh, mm. And, um, you know, there are things that, that I see that I <laughs> wish I had done differently. So at that point in time... I can make those improvements uh, in the wax. Let's say you're using bronze for a sculpture. How many bronze sculptures can you get out of one mold? Do you have to do the whole pro or part of the process over again? Yeah. In other words, you have to fill the the mold up with wax and then uh, and then dip it in the slurry. You have to do that that from that point on. Once you have the mold, which is the first step, you can use the mold, the rubber mold, over and over. Mm. Um, I only do nine um, because mm -hmm. I don't, you know, I think I'd rather not have a lot of pieces around. A lot depends on what it is. If I was going to do some more uh, uh, less serious, well, not that my pieces are serious, but less serious kinds of pieces, I probably would, uh, you know, you can do 100 or you can do 500 or you can do however many you want. Mm -hmm. But uh, I just do nine of each one.
I think what a lot of people don't realize is what, you know, the work just begins once the bronze comes out of the mold. Uh, you know, there's so much finish work involved in a sculpture. And that's when I'm out in, say, the antique world and I pick up a piece of sculpture, a lot of times I really look at the detail of, uh, first of all, the casting and then, mm -hmm. you know, what kind of work was done. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, as far as the burnishing and buffing and and all that, and uh, yeah, the patina is one of the really right, most right. important elements because that's what you see, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, it's so interesting. There are so many different patinas that you can you can work with and you can experiment. And one of the pieces I have <clears throat> looks kind of like it's um, stone. You know, I mean, most people think it's stone until I tell them to whack it, and it's it's actually bronze. <laughs> well, you know, a lot of people, uh, the the mistake a lot of people make out there and that own any piece of bronze, you know, bronze sculpture, is uh, that they they take metal polish. They polish the patina right off of it. And, uh, a bad, bad idea. Yeah. yeah, it's a bad idea. It destroys the value of, let's say, an antique. Well, right away, it'll it'll bring a third of what what it's worth. You know, mm -hmm. so. well, one of the advantages of bronze is you can put it anywhere. I mean, you know, you can mm -hmm. stay outside, and depending on the, the the patina. But if a piece is going to be outside, <clears throat> usually I'll uh, use a sort of a black and bronze, and then a um, a kind of a greenish uh, verde verde uh, yeah, yeah mm -hmm. uh, look on it. And that's what happens naturally if you just leave a piece outside. If you didn't do anything to it and left it outside, yeah. that would be the way it would end up in 10 or 15 years. So yeah. you can leave that stuff out, and it just gets better and better um, every year. Right, right. I love it. Yeah. Well, Tony, this has been absolutely great. Well, I appreciate you asking me. Yes. And so to find uh, Tony's work, it's TonyDowSculpture.com. Thanks again, right. Tony. Thank you. So this is Martin Willis with Tony Dow, and we're signing off.